Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. From the Badgers to Whitewater, from Concordia to Carroll. Some of the best college football is played right here in the state of Wisconsin alongside the professor Dan Underberg. And our producer, the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski, I'm Don Wachillis. This is the College Football Show, and it starts right now. Once again, welcome in for another Thursday night edition of the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM. The Fan, as always, you can find us right here on 105.7 FM, 1250 AM, or on the radio.com app. We've got a jam-packed show this evening. Coming up shortly, we will be talking to a sports writer over at the Lacrosse Tribune, Colton Bartholomew, will be joining us shortly as we get ready to talk about a number 23 and a number 10 matchup that between Whitewater and UW Lacrosse in a little bit we'll recap the busy week that was last week in college football including an impressive win for the Wisconsin Badgers Radio Joe Zenzola will join us here at the table when we do that and at the top of the next hour we'll be talking to the head coach over at Carthage College Dustin Haas and before we get to all of that, I want to remind you that this Saturday, the 29th at Coach's Pub, Coach is one of the good sponsors here at 105.7 FM. The fan is hosting a fundraiser for Sal. We're getting ready to raise some money to help Mark Salzer out in his battle against cancer. So stop on out this Saturday, Coach's Pub and Grill from noon to 8, as there will be a ton of raffles, silent auctions, even we're seeing tonight one of the raffle prizes uh, that will be put out there. I don't know if it's in the raffle or the silent auction side, but is an all-expense-paid trip to Mexico is being put on the table. So there's a lot of fabulous things going on, and obviously it's for a great cause as we try to help Mark out and raise some money on his behalf. So if you're looking for uh, some wings, a big boy burger, Cold beverage on a Saturday afternoon. Stop on down to Coach's Pub. All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Enjoy that and in the process, help somebody out. So hopefully we'll have a chance to see you this Saturday at Coach's Pub from 12 to 8. With that said, let's jump right to the great Midwest Bank hotline as we bring in a sports writer from the Lacrosse Tribune, Colton Bartholomew. Colton, how you doing? Not too bad, guys. How are you tonight? We're doing great. Want to thank you for uh, taking some time. I know life is a little bit busy on a Thursday for you with everything going on at UWL and prep and all of that other stuff happening at the Lacrosse Tribune. And of course, you got to sprinkle in a little Oktoberfest, which is one, <laughs> one, one, one of the great times to be had in the Wisconsin area. But Colton, as I was putting together some things, because 
with the Badgers being off, I think one of the hot games as far as the state goes is this Whitewater against UWL game coming up this Saturday. It's a 4 o'clock kickoff. Whitewater ranked number 10 in the nation. UWL at number 23. And yesterday you broke some news that the offensive coordinator, Luke Bankstead, from UWL is mysterious. I don't mysteriously is not the right way to say it, but miraculously, whatever adjective you want to throw in there is suddenly not with the team. As you reported, office of all his personal items has been cleaned out. This is not a coach right now who uh, who is lacking in duty. The team is averaging just over 34 points a game so far this season, over 420 plus yards per game. So on the field, been doing his job. What can you tell us as to what you know at this point as to why the offensive coordinator for UWL is no longer with the program? The unfortunate thing is, in, in that sense, as a reporter, that everything is pretty much tied up in HR red tape and things that nobody can talk at the moment. Um, pretty much everything that I, I know has been reported on, on the Lacrosse Tribune. You mentioned quite a bit of it that he hasn't been at practice this week. The university confirmed Wednesday night that he was reassigned within the university. Um, whatever that means, we'll figure out once somebody can start talking a little bit here. But uh, what it really means for the game now is that they've got to kind of turn everything over really quickly and figure out the, the flow of play calling and relaying that play onto the field because <clears throat> lacrosse's offense is a, a up-tempo, fast-paced offense that uses a lot of hand signals, uses a lot of different people on the sideline to relay into different positions. So how they're able to, on the fly kind of this week, figure out a new system for getting plays in without a person up in the booth that's calling them. Definitely going to be a, an interesting thing to watch in a great matchup, like you mentioned. Colton, real quick, because I don't want to belabor the point, because as you said, with everything right now being uh, tied up in HR, there really isn't, I guess, a whole lot that, that you've gathered other than what you've reported already in the Tribune. But can you explain uh, real quickly how this came about as far as as a newspaper reporter? Was it one of those things where – you're covering practice and you look over and you realize he's not there or did someone bring it to your attention? Like how did this come about where suddenly you look over and you realize the offensive coordinator is not a part of practice the week before or the week of a really important game? Right. So they had their bye week last week and he was present for all of those practices. And then when it got to Monday, I know he went back to his hometown in Iowa over the weekend during their bye week But when it comes to Monday and he wasn't there, I, I, didn't ask anybody. I thought maybe he was sick or something else had happened. But then wasn't there Tuesday. I started texting some people around the program that I know. And then Wednesday came about and he wasn't there again. And it was kind of one of those, all right, now we got to ask. And then when you start asking those questions and you get the, I can't say anything because of this reason and that reason, then you got to start doing some other digging. So it was really kind of a, you notice that he's not around, then you just go, kind of go from there. Yeah. And like you said, with everything tied up in HR, we're going to let everybody know that you need to follow Colton uh, online, especially in this area at the Lacrosse Tribune, because I'm quite sure you're going to stay on top of this one as it unfolds. And one thing I do want to just kind of throw in there, too. There's no records of Luke Bankson in the courts or anything like that. So I, as far as I know at this moment, there's nothing nefarious in that sense going on. So I don't want to give that impression. So 
we'll we'll figure it out once hopefully this all is cleared up but there is nothing in the courts or the police reports or anything like that about him at this time no and that's fair because quite honestly the way things play out in the sporting world as of late i guess immediately that's kind of where your mind drifts so we'll just have to wait and see how things play out so let's get to the game at hand as we said with the badgers being off this week we've got the number 10 ranked team in the country in uw whitewater and the number 23 ranked team in uwl gonna battle it out a four o'clock kick at lacrosse both teams coming off of a bye colton both teams are going to be rested what are some of the keys that you're looking at as this game unfolds this upcoming Saturday? Well, the thing that really shocks me about Whitewater is just how different their offense has looked this season from really the past decade. In the past decade, they've been such a run-heavy offense because they've had so much talent at the running back position and offensive line. Uh, they still have a great offensive line, and they still have good running backs, but they really opened it up with their receivers this year. And a guy like Ryan Lisnewski, who's a sophomore for them, a 6'4", receiver on the outside got a couple of touchdowns and a couple of big plays for him as well uh he's a guy that's you just have to watch every play because they know if you put them one-on-one they're just going to go up and see if he can make a play so that's really something that i know lacrosse is focusing in on that if they let up big plays they don't have a chance in this game whitewater is just too explosive and has too many athletes and from the uwl side they've got to give their quarterback ben shramsky a lot of time He's going to need to have some time to survey the defense. And with the athletes that Whitewater has in the secondary, they're going to be able to latch on quickly. And you've got to get the quarterback time to let those guys run the routes and get open. So that was a challenge for lacrosse in their week three loss against Dickinson State. And if it is a challenge again this week, Whitewater is really going to probably run away with it. Yeah, you kind of bought into almost what my next question was going to be because that loss – to the number 20 NAIA-ranked team in the country in Dickinson State. I mean, lacrosse was outgained 250-79, to 79, so their passing game was still there as far as lacrosse goes, but obviously on the defensive side, they just really struggled to stop the run. Colton, when I look at this game and I, and I see the progress lacrosse has made over the last few years within the WIAC, This seems to me like one of those pivotal games. It almost reminds me of years ago when the Packers kept running up against the Dallas Cowboys, and it wasn't until they finally got past them that under Brett Favre and and the rest of that team, they kind of made their way to the Super Bowl. Is this one of those games that you earmark early on on the schedule? Because if they're able to get past Whitewater, it almost feels now that lacrosse has taken that next step because they've been knocking on the door the last couple of years. Absolutely. And you mentioned the, the, the Packers example. That's a good one. What I've been kind of telling people this week is Whitewater is kind of like the Yankees. They're always good. They have the resources to always be good and they continue to be good at year in and year out. So you always want to knock those guys off. And when you look at the history of this conference, lacrosse and Whitewater kind of flip-flopped where Whitewater was in the middle and they stormed up and took lacrosse a spot at the top. And now lacrosse is trying to do the same thing again. So definitely from the lacrosse side, Mike Schmidt, their head coach, who's done a great job turning these things around. He's really kind of hammered into these guys that these are the type of games you want to have. And more important, these are the games that we need to win. If we're going to talk about winning conference and national championships, these are the games we have to win year in, year out because even let's say Whitewater were to lose this weekend, it's not like they're going to fall off the map. They're going to be great next year and probably a more years after that. So it's definitely one of those games that they look at as if we're going to be what we want to be in the conference national championship conversation, this is a game we have to start making that mark. 
We're talking with Colton Bartholomew, writer for the Lacrosse Tribune, as we're getting ready to break down, in, in the process, I should say, of breaking down a huge matchup at the Division Three level what will be taking place in lacrosse as Whitewater ranked number 10 in the country, lacrosse ranked number 23. They'll go head-to-head. Colton, tell me what Mike Schmidt has meant to the program up at UWL. We've had Coach on a couple of times on our show. We've had him on already earlier this year. He's a real pleasure to talk to, and it just seems in the times that I've been back up to lacrosse visiting, there's a real positive energy, a resurgent type of energy that's happening around the city regarding college football as it relates to UWL. Absolutely. Mike's one of those guys that it seems like somebody can't be that positive all the time. And sure, there are tough moments, especially after losses or whatnot, but he's just a guy that's so genuine, so authentic that when he's recruiting or when he's talking to current players or whoever it is, they know that he's being honest and they know he's being real. So I think that's a little bit of a change in the regime they had before. And when you're a program that has this tradition, has this history like lacrosse does, having somebody at the top and Mike Schmidt who played here, knows all that history and respects it as much as he does, that really just brings in those older players. I know just from family, friends, and other things that are around the program, the, the amount of outreach they do with the, the alumni and other people around the program is just tenfold from what it used to be here at lacrosse. So I think on-the-field results help. Obviously, going 8-2 and two last year, a big step in that, that positive energy too, but just kind of tying into not only the history they have, but starting to produce on the field like those teams in the past used to uh, is really turning things around in the public perception side of things. All right, Colton, time for one last question uh, before we move forward here, and that is this. With everything now lacrosse is going through with their offensive coordinator coming off of a tough loss against a ranked opponent and now headed up against one of the premier powerhouses in the nation with regards to Whitewater, how do you see things playing out this Saturday and then in the midst of all that, you got to throw an Oktoberfest because you're dealing with young men on a college campus in the midst of what is now Party Central in that town for this week. What do you think happens as that game wraps up this upcoming Saturday? I know Mike Schmidt said on the record this week that if they are able, not able to knock off Whitewater, that he's going to be partying quite hard Saturday night. <laughs> so in the sense of if they are able to get the win and – they're going to make no bones about that. They're going to have a good time. But I think that part of it probably won't matter until Saturday because I think there's just so much effort and focus from both teams uh, on this game each year because Whitewater knows that lacrosse is kind of one of those teams that thinks it's their rival. But when you beat them 10, 12 years in a row, it's hard to consider them your rival. Now it's Oshkosh. Now it's Platteville for them. But lacrosse is kind of in that spot where they've got to beat a Whitewater to get back into the rivalry. But to me, I think it's really going to come down to if lacrosse can get some of those big momentum swinging plays, uh, a, a turnover that gets them set up in the red zone so they score, or a great kick return or punt return, which they have the possibility to do. It's just if it's going to be uh, a back-and-forth, three-and-out punt, three-and-out punt game, the amount of times that Whitewater has the ball in a regular situation, their talent's going to win out more often than not. So lacrosse is going to need to make some big game-changing plays to have a chance on Saturday. Well, well said, and if they do win, put Eddie Arnold on the jute box and put one on the counter at Dell's. It'll be time to get rolling. <laughs> Golden, I can't thank you enough for joining us here on the College Football Show. Appreciate your time. We'll be watching to see how things unfold 
with coach uh, Luke Bankston as as the season, I guess, progresses. And we look forward to seeing uh, your reporting on uh, this Saturday's matchup between two top 25 teams. So thank you very much for being with us tonight. Thanks for having me on. All right, that's Colton Bartholomew joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline as we were previewing, as I've said repeatedly, I guess, the, the top <laughs> two top 25 ranked teams. You know, all of a sudden it's like something goes off in your head like, how many more times are you going to say that? And it just keeps coming, but so it goes. All right, time for us to take a break. When we come back, I think Radio Joe Zinzola will step from behind the glass and join the table as we look back at what was an exciting game between the Badgers and the Hawkeyes down in Iowa. So we'll recap that and kind of look to the future, and we'll do it all next. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Girl, I have to ask Welcome back to the college football show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Guys, I, I don't know where we rank as far as shows go, you know, with content. I, I do know we're the funkiest on a Thursday night. That's <laughs> all I'm going to say right. right there. I thought this was Joe's new theme song. Here. <laughs> uh, that could be it. That We could make the time Joe's theme song when he comes in. Yeah. Radio Joe Zenzola joins us at the table. Joseph, how are you? I'm not cool enough to have a theme song, but. Yes, you are. No, I'm yes, not. Yes, no, you no, are. No, no, no. Joe, have you have you seen our show? You're cool enough to be honest. Yeah, you you're got good. it. You got one. You got I, it. I, I do feel hip though when I hear that music, and well, then I feel hip. See, I always remember <laughs> a few years ago when you were doing the Friday night show, right? Yeah. And I would call in, and there would be a commercial break. Joe would always come in with a little Lakeside when he knew I was on hold. I do I do remember a few times a little Lakeside was played in McGivern. I could just see him physically melting down here at the station not knowing what was being played that was not me because i was back there i have no controls over here oh then i'm giving you too much you ain't getting no theme song now forget it (laughs) i told you i'm not that important you should have just bought in no one knew the difference my (laughs) gosh anyhow all right let's get into what was a badger win this past saturday and it went down to the wire as everybody who watched it knows and it helped keep the Badger hopes alive as far as making it to the Big Ten tourney and who knows then thereafter whether or not it will be enough to get them into the Final Four in a college playoff spot. But the win against Iowa keeps everything going. And, Daniel, I'll start with you because last week you were kind of uh, to <laughs> yeah. the point of I. this is what Alex Hornerbrook is mm-hmm. where one week he's going to be spectacular, one week it's going to fall off and we're not going to get the production. And this past week, he was exactly what we had been hoping for for I don't know how many games right now is, though he may not have Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers-type numbers, they were good numbers, and he did enough to help that team win, not only through his production, but I also thought his leadership skills shined a little bit this past Saturday. Yeah, he played well. There's no question about it. He's 17 for 22. Um, I thought some of his passes were obviously some of the best passes he's had all season, particularly that last touchdown to, uh, or not the last touchdown, but the last pass to uh, AJ Taylor uh, for that comeback touchdown. I, you know, I, I feel, I feel a bit of a heel, you know, feeling like the way that I do about Hornerbrook because, 
it, when he has games like this, you you know you you feel a little foolish about you know saying some of the things. But I, I you know I kind of stand where with what I said last time, which is I've kind of gotten to the point now where I've expected him to have great games, and now I'm expecting him at some point in the season where it's just going to it's going to bottom out a little bit again. Um, I I hope it doesn't happen, but I, I just think it will. But yeah, I think you can give a lot of credit to this to this win on Alex Hornibrook. I think he he played really really well. Joe, not only has Dan alluded to the fact that he was 17 of 22, he spread it out a little bit. If I'm not mistaken, you had seven different receivers who got touches on Saturday night, and in in spreading the wealth, I think it helped the Badgers by putting the defense a bit on its heels with regards to the passing game. Yeah, no, I I think Hornibrook is doing a really good job uh, continuing his chemistry with all these receivers, especially now Jake Ferguson. I just continue to get blown away by this kid. He catches almost everything, and he should have caught that one ball that was right in the chest in the uh, what was that, in the fourth quarter because uh, that, that was an important ball on third down. But overall, Jake Ferguson has been a very effective target for Hornybrook, especially in those situations, those long down and distances, you know, third and seven, third and eight, or second and 12. Or he, he's, he's always finding Ferguson there open in the middle of the field. And when you're able to give him a little bit more time in the pocket, you know, Fer, Ferguson finds a way to get free, and there he is. And he needs to continue to do that. And just with the other receivers in general, Pryor, another good night for him. A.J. Taylor, another good night for him. Danny Davis is a very good receiver with his hands. This is what you want. You need to have this. And this is why when we talk about Alex Hornerbrook and elevating himself, he's got all these good weapons to throw to, and he's making good throws. On Saturday. <laughs> yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. Sometimes you got to put an asterisk next to the man because there are times, but go ahead. But I'm no, sorry. I have a dream. Like Martin Luther King <laughs> oh, had a dream. Boy, here we go. I, I, I have a dream, and that dream is that Alex Hornerbrook will be more consistent throughout the course of this season and that he will elevate his game like I've been asking him to. <laughs> I I have a dream, Dan Underberg, <laughs> that that you will see hopefully more games like this where there are no mistakes. He didn't have a single I, mistake in that game. I have that dream too, but I I will say again, there's that seat on my train. It's still warm. It's sitting there right, ready and waiting for you. I again, we we've seen in the Orange Bowl last year. We've seen we've seen against Iowa. A week ago, what he can do, mm-hmm. okay, no question about it. And I, I do not question anything you say about the receiving core that he has. Um, it's it's all there, but to me, now it's 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 really up to him. You know what what he's going to be. Does he have the tools to be uh, a really good quarterback? Yeah, he does. But now he's uh, to me for me, it's 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 kind of a mind game, getting consistent. What I what I really felt he did well in this game. Number one, Paul Christ, and we can talk more about this, but Paul Christ had all these packages where he was using seven offensive linemen, mm-hmm. and they, they kept loading it up in the box because they knew how tough that defensive front was going to be for Iowa, and it was smart, and, and the running game looked good because of it. Jonathan Taylor and Taiwan Deal were able to get good runs, but then that led to more play action from Hornybrook, sure. and Hornybrook was in prime form. Every time you got play action, because these receivers were getting open, and it was making a difference. 
And if you if you've got that semblance of a good running game, which the Badgers have, you don't have to throw it, you know, 40 times a game, but give me more play action. Throw that defense off as much as you can. Hornerbrook, I thought, was rock solid in that regard. Jeff, one of the reasons, as Joe was talking about, that the play action was so effective was the running, as as he noted, of Jonathan Taylor and of Deal. Jonathan Taylor, it almost seemed pedestrian, but he ran for 113 yards. They were tough, grinded-out type of runs where he didn't have the off-tackle break outside of the hash mark and streak down the sideline. It was those three or four yards as the old Kansas City ball coach once yelled out, we're going to matriculate the ball down the field, boys. And that's (laughs) kind of the way it felt with Taylor. So not only was he able to grind out the yards and finish with 113, there was ball control. He didn't lay it on the turf. And he was able to buy those tough yards set up exactly what Joe was talking about with that play-action pass, which kind of once again balanced the offense out. He showed just great vision all game long. He wasn't rushing it. You know, he was back there. He saw the hole, and he hit it. And if he had, you know, if he was supposed to run run to the left and it wasn't there, he took his time, broke it back to the right. Just great vision, kept him in manageable down and distance the whole game long. And, uh, and like you said, with the ball control, you know, Iowa had one possession in the entire first quarter. And that is especially when when you're you're struggling on the other side of the ball, that is a uh, a very good recipe for success. And here's once again to me where the Heisman Trophy comes into into great debate because it will be a numbers thing as it always is at the end of the season. And the fact that right now he's slightly below what his normal, shall we say, average has been in his brief career at Wisconsin, but no one will Joe take into consideration those grinded out yards that he had where he was getting three, three and a half, four a carry and keeping the offense moving that at the end of the year, somebody's going to look at the stats and go, ah, he's not performing up to standard when it was a completely different style of running we saw from Jonathan Taylor than sometimes what we're used to, which is more of an elusive breakout and, and gain 30-40 at a crack. Well, it's it's a staple of Paul Chris in this offense about time of possession and just slowly working your way up the field. This is not an offense, nor will it ever be an offense under Paul Chris, where you're just going to drop back and just torch any any secondary you go up against and try to go for the deep ball, and you, or you try to spread it out. You're never going to see a spread offense under Paul Chris. It's never going to happen, and it's always going to be about the running game and continue to expect to see this program churn out more and more running backs even after Jonathan Taylor goes off to the NFL. But it is the little things. And Jonathan Taylor in that game against Iowa, he he, there were a couple of situations where he was able to almost break away for mm-hmm. a big gain. Like he he came close a couple of times. But when, when you're getting those five, six, seven-yard rushes, and now all of a sudden you're not going to have to put pressure on Hornibrook on a third and long um, – to get the job done, th- that is a good thing. And, and the unfortunate part is, Don, I agree, that that may not necessarily be – that will be overlooked 
when it comes to the final Heisman talks. You know, it's going to be, let's compare Jonathan Taylor's numbers to Bryce Love and see what we got right here. It will be a complete stat sheet, as you're, as you're yeah, alluding to. But, but, I, but I do think it is important for Taylor here, get some more games where you're going over 200 yards. He, he needs to do that. And I think those games are coming. I think that, yes. Nebraska, I think there's a few other teams that we'll get to a little bit later in the show that he's going to have the ability to really bust out and get Rutgers. those. <laughs> Rutgers. <laughs> hey, oh. hey, by the way, congr- oh. con- no, no, no. Congratulations to, Lan- no, to Lance Leipold and Buffalo for beating Rutgers. Oh, yes. Yes. That program is now 4-0, and they- Leipold beat Rutgers. And not only that, but because of that, you're starting to see Buffalo get a little cred when you start looking at things like the Fox Sports College show and ESPN. I mean, they're starting to take notice. And here's a guy who comes out of Whitewater, yep. gets his, his shot at the Division One level, and he's really taking advantage of it because now it's been a few years. He's now got his recruits in his place. Guys. right the style that he wants to play and and yeah okay it's Rutgers but we talked about just a week or two ago when certain teams are claiming a tougher preseason schedule simply because they're playing a Big Ten opponent or a Pac-12 opponent that hasn't been relative in the last 15 years now suddenly people will say oh well you beat Rutgers well yeah you can't have it both ways so as you said congratulations uh to Lance. the University of yeah. Buffalo and Lance and what he's doing over there. Daniel, let's go to the defensive side of the ball because I'll tell you, I'll say it this way. I think Jim Leonard this week has to simplify what he's doing defensively because there were too many times when those guys were lined up where they seemed to be out of position, scrambling to figure out where they were supposed to be. And I think it may be at this point with such a young defense a little bit too complex for this group. Yeah, I agree with you. I had hopes of of this defense being able to get through some of these rough patches a little bit. It because of the fact that this is the first time in how many years, and maybe Joe, you under you know the number, but it's the first time in how many years that we've had a defensive coordinator coordinator back for a second year. Yeah. They've had some continuity there. So my hope was I mean Aranda. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So kind of hoping that we could get past this. This, this bump in the road a little bit with okay I'm gonna, we're here I've got a system in place I'm gonna get you uh, you know get you into the system but that hasn't been the case there there have been absolute times particularly in the secondary where they've looked they've looked just lost they don't know where they're supposed to be they don't know who they're supposed to cover part of that may be the lack of pressure on the quarterback which I think we need a little more we need more effective rushers but yeah right now our our secondary is showing its youth significantly. And not only is the secondary showing its youth, but one of the things I noticed, especially against BYU, not maybe as evident against Iowa, Joe, was there are times with whatever the scheme Leonard is running, he puts his guys into one-on-one type situations where he's expecting his guys to come up in the slot, make the tackle based on however that scheme is set up. And this year, the guys, because I think of their youth, aren't necessarily getting the tackles like you had last year. Same type of scheme, same type of situation. Guys who were older, junior, seniors, were able to come up and make those plays where some of these younger guys, they're just not there yet. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of zone coverage you're seeing out there. And, I mean, again, you're dealing with really, really young kids. 
I was surprised to see Duran Harrell playing in that game against Iowa. That was a little bit of a shock to me, and clearly he didn't play well, and I don't know if that was the right decision to put him in that game against Iowa. Put him in against Nebraska. Put him in against Rutgers if you want to get a look at him. Duran Harrell probably should not have been playing. Um, that, that was odd to me, that he was in over Cesar Williams. You know, Fayon Hicks is another kid that a couple of pass interferences on him, not good. Um, he's someone else that has had some good moments. He's been able to save a couple of touchdowns with his speed, as we've seen with some big runs that some of these teams have been putting on the Badgers. Fayon Hicks has been able to catch up and bring the guy down. I really like the speed, but again, it's, it's going to be all technique. It's going to be technique with him. Um, and he's going to have to get better, but, but that's that these are the growing pains you're going to have to go through with the secondary guys. Now up front, I am not impressed with what I've seen up front in the first four games of the season. I, I understand also that this is a younger group of guys, but the one guy I've been trying to figure out is Zach Bond, because if Zach Bond you know, he's been dealing with this foot foot injury now for the last couple of years. If Zach Bond can live up to the potential that a lot of people think he's going to be, um, it does change it does change the way you're able to blitz and get to the quarterback. And Bond really hasn't done anything. Van Ginkle hasn't done anything. Mm-mm. There is just no pressure going on right, right now. And that is a that is a concern. It, it really is. This is not this front seven is nowhere close, or even I, I don't even see the potential right now of coming close to any of these other defensive fronts the Badgers have been putting out there for the last three, four years. I, I just I don't see it right now, and that will be a concern. These quarterbacks should be challenging this young secondary as much as possible. They should be throwing as many deep balls as they can against these guys. Because again, if you're not going to throw any pressure and you've got pot, you're able to have all day in the pocket like Stanley did in that game, that's what they should be doing. That's what they should be doing. And the pressure is very concerning. Let's continue our discussion with regards to the defense after we step aside and take a break as we'll continue our Badger talk right here on the College Football Show on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back into the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski, pushing all the buttons there for us. Professor Dan Underberg, Radio Joe Zinzola, I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Thursday night as we take a look back at the Badger victory over Iowa this past weekend. And as we were going to break, Jeffrey, I'm coming to you with this. Joe was talking about the front seven and and the lack of really anything defensively. I mean, we talked about the miscues at the defensive back position. We're not seeing much out of the front seven. And I'll throw this the same way I did it to Dan before. I just wonder if it's too much. You know, sometimes defensively, you, you almost want to give the guy a gap responsibility and go. And I think sometimes when you begin to think too much, that's when you begin to get in a little bit of trouble and you don't know which which direction to go. You're overthinking things and you're just not letting your natural ability get out there and play. Well, that's why this bye week has come at such a perfect time because that defense needs 
they need to get it together. And they need, uh, Leonard included, they got to figure out a game plan that will work with what he has. And I, th- I have the faith in him. I think he can sit there and figure it out and, you know, come up with a plan that'll work and get these guys' skills to show because they've, they've been very pedestrian. You're, you're not seeing anything. And uh, hopefully, you know, the, the young guys can, can learn, take a step in the, in the two-week break here in between games, and, and we're not stuck talking about this again. But do I have a lot of faith that this extra week is going to cure all the ills? No. But hopefully it's a step in the right direction. As hopefully, you said, absolutely. The, the week off puts us a step in the right direction. Dan, <laughs> yeah. Nebraska coming in. Now, Nebraska has definitely not lived up to, I think, what a lot of people's expectations were when Frost took over the job, thinking that he miraculously somehow was going to take a program and turn it around, not understanding. I think Nebraska fans, like other fans around the country where their teams have had success in the past, live in the past, and are consistently thinking that the Cornhuskers are going to be a double-digit win type of program and they're far from that yet. And I just wonder, with the upcoming game, will this once again be a chance, hopefully, for the Badgers to get healthy, so to speak, from from a schematic point of view? Or should I be pushing the panic button, much like when BYU came in? <laughs> right. I, Well, for starters, just talking about the buy just for a second, the Badgers aren't the only one they need to buy. I think their fans need one, too, just to kind of refresh a little bit. Um, this game... Again, I, I'm kind of the pessimist on this one only because Wisconsin has showed the annoying tendency to play to its competition. And we've got Nebraska coming in, obviously, licking its wounds from a, an embarrassing defeat at home from Troy. Um, it should should the Badgers beat them soundly? Yes, they should, and I think they can. Um, and and I think it might be one of those games where they start slow and they pull away. But uh, with with regard to Scott Frost, I think – I think Nebraska is going to get there. I think the issue with Nebraska or like a, a program like Michigan is do the fans have patience? Do the, do the donors have patience to kind of get through there? Um, he seems like the right guy to be there. He wants to be there. I think he can be a powerful recruiter. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a little while. So I think Wisconsin will win this game. But I just, I've just got this yucky feeling that, you know, here we go again. It's, it's, it's a team that's it's, it's down on its luck right now, and we – the Badgers just have this tendency to just kind of play to that level for a while. Yeah, and that can that can be the Achilles heel that we've seen all too often sometimes with this program. But on the other hand, Joe, Paul Chris, what kind of accolades does he deserve to get that team to bounce back after what was a heart-wrenching loss to BYU and not only to beat a conference opponent but beat that conference opponent on the road in one of – really the tougher venues that you'll find in the Big Ten to play, the way everything is kind of right on top of you, that is not an easy place to try and get a victory. And yet Chris got that team together, kept them poised. Even, I get it was a bit sloppy throughout the game, but he kept them focused and together enough that when push came to shove in that last minute, they had enough in them to execute and win the game. That's that's who Paul Chris is. And... You know, I my brain was telling me going into that game against Iowa that they're they're gonna lose. They're gonna lose, that they're not gonna be able to recover from this BYU loss. But my heart was telling me that knowing how this team operates under Chris 
and the way that they just focus one game at a time and they put all their work into this and they don't overlook the next opponent, that they will be fine. They will bounce back. They will find a way at Kinnick to get this done. And they did. Hart won. And it, it is a testament of who Paul Chris is as a coach. Because, again, Paul Chris is never going to be a rah-rah guy. He's never, as far as I know, and I maybe I'm off, maybe behind the scenes in that locker room, he goes crazy. But I just don't I don't see that in the DNA that. when he's going out up there in front of the media every time. Going, yeah, you know, the guys uh, competed and <laughs> you know, you know, went out there and they got opportunities. And yeah, I don't see Chris losing his mind on someone. I don't see him going off on a positional group for not getting the job done. He's he doesn't he doesn't do that. But what I have learned about Paul Chris over the years with players that have played under him. They just love the guy. Like it, it, it's like it's like their dad. It's like their best friend. You know, he's he's always telling jokes. He's always keeping the guys loose. And he just has a way of going about his business to just tell these guys, look, this is what we have in front of us. We have goals. There are things we want to achieve, but let's focus on this opponent. And here here's how we're gonna do it. That it's just he finds a way to add this extra mental toughness to his team, and a lot of times it doesn't look perfect. But I continue to be impressed with the focus that you constantly see from these guys, week in and week out, regardless of who they play. That that's that's the one thing under Chris since he took over that has been a a a pretty constant, I think. And Jeff has. Some people lose their minds because he's not a screamer and a yeller because, as, as Joe was saying, it doesn't appear to be in his DNA. It's not. It just it seems to me like I've seen some other coaches do. It's really important, and when you're building your staff, to make sure you have some yin with your yang, so to speak. Yes, sir. So you've got other position coaches who are the yellers, who are the screamers, who will get in someone's face, where as the head coach, I can come to you, Jeff, and say, listen – we got to get Underberg on the ball doing what he's supposed to do, and next thing you know, you're blowing up, and yet the point gets across. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. The, the, the point gets across. So you, when you're building your staff, you can't build a coaching staff where everybody has the same style as you because every once in a while you need to get in someone's grill and if it's not in your DNA, it comes across as phony and fake. You need somebody who's got the ability to do that for you. Yep. And uh, Coach Chris, you need me. Call me. <laughs> I will be there. I like yelling at people. I wouldn't yell at Professor Underberg because, you know, then I would get a detention. But I will yell at any Badger player he wants me to scream at. I'll take their heads off. Jeff, they'd pay you well, too. Well, hello. <laughs> now that would be worth the price of admission. I would love to see Orlowski roaming the sideline, <laughs> headsets flailing everywhere as he's chewing somebody out <laughs> right in the midst of their face mask. Joe, thanks again for stopping by tonight. Appreciate yeah, you sure. hanging out. Always yeah. love to have you yeah, here as we you. talk about the Badgers. Yeah. We need to take a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk to the head coach at Carthage College, Dustin Haas, is we get into more of some of the D3 matchups coming up this weekend, especially with the Badgers having off. A little bit later on in the show, let's take a peek at why this BYU-Washington matchup 
will be huge with regards to Wisconsin as life plays out. And we'll get to all of that in the second hour of tonight's show. Once again, this is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the second hour here of the college football show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. We jump right to the great Midwest Bank hotline. Now pleased to be joined by the head coach at Carthage College, head coach Dustin Haas. Coach, how you doing? Doing well. How about you guys? We're doing great. Thank you for taking some time on your Thursday night in the midst of a a busy season for you, obviously, uh, to speak with us here on The Fan. Coach, Going into uh, this week, we're one and two. Tough game last Saturday because when you just simply look at the stats, all of the stats essentially in Carthage's favor, yet as you noted after the game, it was some mental errors, some penalties, turnovers, things of that nature that really uh, that cost you a victory against the conference opponent. Yeah, we didn't play very well. You know, uh, you're exactly right. You look at the stats, and you'd have thought that the score probably would have been reversed, uh, and we would have won the game. But, uh, you know, uh, give them credit. Wash you took advantage of uh, some of our mental errors and capitalized, and, uh, you know, we got in some key situations and, and didn't do that. Um, you know, so we've had a good week of practice, uh, you know, addressed a lot of those uh, mistakes. and looking forward to get back on the field Saturday to uh, rectify. Coach, for those of us who aren't around at practice the way obviously you as a coaching you as a coach and your coaching staff are when you talk about rectifying those types of errors what are some of the things that you implement throughout the course of practice during that week that goes about correcting those things and trying to as you said rectify the situation going into this upcoming game yeah well one of the things that uh, you know we kind of looked at was our inability to score points in the red zone you know we missed two field goals uh, had another turnover in the red zone. And so one of the things we did this week in practice is we focused some good on good time to, to just the red zone. You know, we got to get better on that area in defense. We gave up four touchdowns and didn't get any stops. And on offense, we obviously missed three opportunities to score. You know, so that's an area where we focused on, hey, we got to we got to get better on both sides of the ball in that area. Uh, you know, so we spent some time uh, going against each other, our one offense versus our one defense, and, and uh, you know, getting that right. Is it one of those things that you have to take more of a mental approach in how to correct it, or is it more of a physical approach where, as you just said, you had your ones going against one another where you got to grind some things out to see how those corrections get made? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, some things, and sometimes it's mental where guys just miss an assignment or, you know, blow a coverage or, you know, miss a block or things like that. And other times it's it's physical. You know, you have to have a, a certain level of physical, mental toughness down there. And, uh, you know, so it's a little bit of both. Coach, if you were to right now look at either side of the ball to see, I, I hate to use the word more confident in, but which side of the ball is executing a little bit better as you – continue to grow throughout the season where are we shining right now as a team and what are some of the facets that that you're looking to improve again as you're trying to make your way throughout this particular conference play <laughs> you know you know, if you'd asked that before saturday i'd have said our defense uh you know and then we then we went out and gave up 51 points <laughs> um 
you know, but uh, being a defensive coach, I'm always really confident in our defense. We've got a lot of seniors on that side of football that have played a lot for us that, uh, you know, that are really good football players. Um, you know, to answer that side of it, I'm probably pretty confident in the, in the defensive side of the football. And I know those guys have, have, uh, have taken that to heart. You know, that's the most points I think they've given up since they've been here. And, uh, you know, so confident in that side of the ball, uh, confident in our offense that, you know, it's been a long time since since Carthage ran 105 plays and put up 540 yards of offense. And and like I said, once we get to the point where we're uh, you know finishing those drives like we should, I think that will be a very complete football team. For someone who's been in and around the game as much as you have, for for those of us who who love the game but aren't necessarily involved to the level that you are, what's the biggest misconception fans make? when trying to analyze a team or a game? Uh, I think a lot of it is just always knee-jerk reaction. You know, you lose a game by uh, 20 points, and all of a sudden it's, you know, you know what's going on? You know, they're a train wreck, a, a poor team, or, you know, things like that, where I don't know if they look at exactly what actually happened in the game or the, the things that led up to the score being lopsided. You know, you look at our first game of the year, and, we we lose the football game to UW Oshkosh. Everyone's telling us how great we were because, you know, we didn't lose by that much. You know, and then we, <laughs> you know, uh, you know. So I, th- I think it's just you don't know the the whole X's and O's and and what goes into it and and how you know games decided by eight to ten plays and and uh, if a couple of those plays go your way, you win. If a couple don't, you lose. But coach, you you do realize that if we don't have a knee jerk reaction every week, we don't have a show. Okay, just 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 letting you know <laughs> that's that, a, that's, that's a good point. That, that I mean, that's just what I guess what we have to do, Coach. Before we get into your upcoming matchup against Elmhurst, would you talk a little bit about the conference and some of the teams within the conference? Because as we note, and and I guess what we want to do with this show week in and week out at times is celebrate what happens at the Division Three level in this state because the level of football is so good at the collegiate level, at the Division Three ranking. Could you talk a little bit about the conference that you're in right now? Yeah, we have a phenomenal conference. Uh, you know, not just in football, but all athletics. But football is, is really, really strong. I mean, you look at us now, we've got three top 25 teams, you know, outside of our league and probably the Wisconsin State School League. I don't know if there's a whole lot of leagues that can say that, if any at all. I mean, you know, I think it's pretty hard for most leagues to get two teams in. You know, so you're going to play a high level of football. And, and one thing I think you see in uh, Wisconsin especially is there's one scholarship school. You know, it's the University of Madison, Wisconsin. And and uh, there's a lot of really talented football players that, that probably if they were living in Ohio or, or uh, Michigan, you know, some of those some of those states that have multiple Division One schools and a lot of, you know, Division Two schools, I think you see those kids as scholarship football players that end up playing football, you know, at Carthage or in the CCIW or in the in the Wisconsin State School League, and, and that really elevates the, the play at uh, not only that league but, but our league as well. Coach, does it get frustrating at all? And, and we've heard it from a few coaches, um, especially on the western side of the state when we're talking about lacrosse, Eau Claire, and so forth, because – some of the D, the D2 excuse me, schools over in Minnesota are able to offer scholarships, and I think sometimes kids have this idea that a scholarship has been offered and will go play there not knowing necessarily the quality of play within that conference or with that school. 
Is that something that you find yourself having to battle when you're trying to recruit players to come to Carthage? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, those those schools come down and they recruit the Chicago land area and the Milwaukee land area. And, and we get a lot of the Michigan D2s that come over and uh, and recruit as well. And part of the benefit of being at those schools is they get to split those scholarships up, you know. So they could offer me, uh, you know, $1,000 and they could offer you uh, 10000 And at the end of the day, they both say football scholarship on it. And I think sometimes kids and, and to more extent parents get get tied up and my son got a football scholarship sure. instead of what's the best opportunity for my son not just for the next four years but you know the next 40 of his life all right coach let's preview things you've got a homecoming game this saturday against elmhurst first talk a little bit about now making those corrections as you alluded to earlier in our interview what are you looking to do on both sides of the ball and what are you expecting elmhurst as they arrive over at Art Keller Field this Saturday, what are you looking as far as scouting what's going to be your opponent? Yeah, you know, for us on offense, uh, like I said, we gotta we got to finish drives. You know, we got to execute in the red zone. On defense, I think it's just getting back to our fundamentals. we got to tackle well. Uh, you know, we got to make sure our guys are doing their job in every facet of it. Uh, in the kicking game, we have to eliminate the penalties. Um, you know, and those are kind of the three phases of those – those areas that we have to clean up. I think we've done a good job addressing it this week and looking forward to see it on the field. Uh, you know, obviously Elmhurst is coming into town. It's, it's a good football program, a CCIW football program. They're not too far removed from, from winning a CCIW title. Uh, you know, they, they're in a great location. They do a good job in recruiting. It's going to be a good physical CCIW football game. Coach, appreciate your time on this Thursday night to talk a little bit about your program and this upcoming homecoming matchup against Elmhurst College. Wish you nothing but success, and hopefully we'll get an opportunity to talk as the season wears on. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. We appreciate it. That's the head coach over at Carthage College, Dustin Haas, joining us on the great Midwest Bank hotline. Time for us to step aside, take a break. When we come back, we'll continue to look at some of the D3 matchups and some D3 polling action for this past week here on the college football show and we'll be back next this is the college football show right here on 105.7 fm the fan once again welcome back to the college football show right here on 105.7 fm the fan as we continue to look at some of the d3 matchups within the state of Wisconsin, but let's first get to the D3 poll as we see Whitewater at number 10, Oshkosh at 12, Lacrosse at 23, Platteville out of the top 25 this week. And again, Dan, we look at, I think, what is the key game of this week within the state of Wisconsin, especially with the fact that the Badgers are off and it's what we talked about in the first segment. It's that lacrosse-whitewater matchup. And for me, and as we've talked before, lacrosse just it, it's making its way back into the conversation, and yet they're going to have to beat a whitewater and an Oshkosh to fully be in the conversation because, again, whitewater and Oshkosh, those two teams now seeing themselves as rivals are the two top dogs in the WEAC, and if lacrosse wants to get into that conversation, they're going to have to take care of business this Saturday, which has 
been made even more challenging with the fact that their offensive coordinator has suddenly been reassigned within the university. And as we heard in the first segment, not much more information to go along with it. But not only do you have the challenge of playing the Warhawks, now you got the challenge of figuring life out without your offensive coordinator and having to make those adjustments. Yeah, I think Colton Bartholomew, you know, I guess in the first segment did a really, really good job of kind of setting up this game. And it's uh, it's not this classic um, 1980s lacrosse whitewater football game where they're going to pound it out. This is going to be a lot different. I think there's a great opportunity to see some some big plays. And, and, and yeah, I think that the trick to this game is who can limit the big plays for the other team in this case. I I do like Whitewater in this game. Sorry. You know, I just – I think they've got the um, shut his mic off, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think right now Whitewater is stronger the two teams, but again, we're going to say that until lacrosse, the University, University of Wisconsin Thank lacrosse. Thank you, Dan. You're welcome. Okay, um, but it's, <laughs> until until lacrosse steps up and beats Whitewater, you know, then it's it's the rivalry doesn't happen until that starts. Other games within the WEAC this week, Oshkosh is at River Falls. Platteville is at point. That's another good one mm-hmm. that should be that should be looked at as as the course of that Saturday rolls rolls through. We've been talking about Whitewater at Lacrosse, Eau Claire at Stout. And then don't forget Carthage right. at home this weekend, a homecoming matchup. And as head coach Dustin Haas was talking about, coming off of a loss the way they did last week in which it seemed as if every single stat was in favor of Carthage and still come away with the loss. I mean, the stat sheet in and of itself was impressive. Anybody would take that stat sheet Mm -hmm. and think you should have come away with a victory. Total yards, Carthage, 540. Right. The opponent, 356. Rushing yards, 408. Opponent, 297. Time of possession. 34 and a half minutes, your opponent, 25 and a half. I mean, every major statistical category was in favor of Carthage. And yet, as you heard the coach say, mental errors, turnovers just ended up costing them a very important conference game. So it'll be really interesting how Carthage bounces back this week. I think so, too. And I think, you know, we were talking about Paul Christ coaching style. He's not a screamer and things like that. I think it's going to be really interesting. It would be very interesting to have been in the locker room this week, to have been in the film sessions, and to to really think about how Dustin kind of approaches his team. Because you're right, that that was a game that you would imagine that they would have won. I think, you know, the, it's all about putting the ball in the end zone. That's right. what it comes down to, no matter how ugly it is. But that's what it's about. And how do you lift up your game? Because I we, we've talked – how many coaches have we talked to now where – you know how personally they take these losses. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it hurts so much. And a game like that has just got to stick with you for a while. And he, he was a great guest, and, and it seems like he's got it, you know, all together ready to move on to the next game. But you know that one sticks there. So I'd love to know how he kind of motivates his team to get past that and then into the next one. And I think I've, I've always had an appreciation for what the coaches do mm-hmm. on a daily basis and the passion that they have for the game and the passion that they have for their team and their college that they're working for. Right. But I've gained a whole new appreciation because you're absolutely right, Dan. When they lose, I mean, it's almost like not to be, I don't know, too Pollyanna, but it's almost like a part of their soul has gone down on that particular Saturday when we're talking about college football. 
because they put so much time, energy, yeah. and effort into those things. And not only do they want to succeed as a coach, they want their kids to succeed. And usually good coaches, that's really what it boils down to. They want their kids to be successful. They want their kids to succeed. They want their kids to have that great experience of playing not only college football, but to do so successfully. And I think sometimes that's what we take for granted. And Jeff, as he said, you know, a knee-jerk reaction. Well, yeah, a knee-jerk reaction is what we do because we're not involved on a daily basis the way they are. And sometimes we want to lose our minds and scream and yell. And yet those guys who are in the trenches, they know what their team can do. They know the mistakes that were made, and they know necessarily what it takes then to correct the ship. And not always does it mean ranting and raving and screaming and yelling. That is true. And, uh, you know, my TV has seen me at my worst, uh, <laughs> you know, during Packers games, during Badgers games, all that kind of stuff. So, yes, you know, screaming and yelling definitely isn't always the uh, the right cure. And, you know, you, you just have to know your locker room. And that's why the Tony Dungy approach works for, for certain teams and uh, why, you know, pick a screamer out of the, uh, there's a lot to choose yeah, from, sure. why, why that works as well. So you have to know what's going to motivate your guys. And even on the same team, you know, you're going to scream at, at one guy and you're going to treat with kid gloves another guy because they respond differently. You know, it's it, that's why being a coach is so hard. It is. And, and the fact that, let's face it, in today's social media, in the way everything can be filmed, unlike it was 25, 30 years ago, you can break down every single thing. And now you have access to just about anything. I mean, you can go when we're talking about the NFL, and I'm not surprised it has, I'm surprised it hasn't gotten to the collegiate level quite yet. At least I don't know how to access it. But when you talk about the 22 film, you know, the all 22. That I mean, you can go on NFL Network, pay your subscription, and you're getting the coaching tapes, and you can sit and be junior scout or mm. junior commentator or however you want to phrase it and start breaking down the film yourself. So the access that we as fans have now is far greater than at any other point as far as athletics go. And that just, as you said, Jeff, I guess I'm trying to support your point even more in the fact that it just makes their job so much tougher. Because you've got, what, 20 seconds? When you when you think of, I've got to process what just happened, think about what's going to happen, make a decision on what play, signal the play in, get it in in time for the guys to be able to execute it before the clock runs to zero, and we get to sit back you know, with a beverage in hand and our feet up, and as soon as it doesn't work, go, well, what are you doing? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Not knowing what the pressure is within – that given allotted amount of time in order to make the call. I know we've got to take a break, but before we take a break, let's do predictions. Jeff, I'm going to start with you. UW-Whitewater at UW-Lacrosse. And and if you didn't know, both teams are ranked in the top 25. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am going to take uh, lacrosse here. How, you know, it would be, I would be remiss (laughs) To not back lacrosse (laughs) and quarterback Ben Shramsky as the Polish pipe bomb. I got to go with my guy Shramsky. He's going to carve up Whitewater. You know, give me 97 to 2. 
and the safety won't be Shramsky's fault. It'll be on special teams. 97 to 2. I was so proud of our producer until he went 97 to 2. Now you just threw it right out well, the window. I blew the shutout. <laughs> you blew the shutout. How you give the Warhawks two points, I don't know. Professor, logically take a look at it. <laughs> I, I, I Again, I just think uh, right now Whitewater's the better team. I think it's close for a little while. I think lacrosse can always kind of stay and keep in check with Whitewater, but after a while I'm thinking something like 33-17. 31 the University of right. Wisconsin hey! lacrosse. Because on the table. We're, we're we're going to see, <laughs> and and the payoff will will be made during, uh, or the the bet itself, I should say, will be made during this commercial break. You are listening to the College Football Show right here well, on one hundred five seven two FM. The fan. <laughs> Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. And with the fact that the Badgers are off this week, there's a couple of games, notably at least one, that has direct impact with the Wisconsin Badgers, and that will be the number 20-ranked team in the nation, which is BYU, going against the number 11-ranked team, which is the University of Washington. I'm surprised Washington is an 18-point favorite in this game. That Mm -hmm. seems a little bit steep, but then again, it is Thursday night. That could change by the time Saturday morning rolls around. But obviously, if BYU, Daniel, were to beat Washington, another top 25 team, suddenly the loss at Camp Randall isn't as devastating as we once thought and this idea that at least people like I, who have drank the Kool-Aid since day one <laughs> of camp. It tasted good. It did. Is still got this outlining thought that we could still find our way into the final four. Then I really need BYU to do to Washington what they did to us and beat them soundly. Yeah, I mean, when... When Wisconsin lost to BYU, you pretty much instantly became a Cougar fan, right? It wasn't you had to take that on. But the the interesting thing about this game is we're going to see kind of where BYU is the litmus to comparison to how strong the Pac-10 is in comparison to the Big Ten. Two teams that you know the Washington and Wisconsin, you could argue talent wise, are roughly the same. Uh, and in this case, BYU is again on the road. At Washington, so there's there's this opportunity where they could come up. They're not going to sneak up on anybody anymore, but they honestly, again, in Madison, they beat the Badgers. They beat them. Oh, all right, yes, right. So you've got to believe that the BYU Cougars are walking into Seattle or walking into the University of Washington, and are convinced they can win this game. You know, they're that's not just coaching speak. That these guys really honestly believe. If we can win in Madison, we can beat that forty-three to what was a forty-three and one right. non-conference streak. We can walk into BYU, or I'm sorry, we can walk into Washington and do the same. So I, I'm with you. I think eighteen is a lot. Um, it doesn't surprise me that Washington would be favored, but I, you can't put this out of the realm of possibility that BYU could win this game. 
No, I and again, I'm I'm looking at it through rose-colored glasses that I want to see BYU do that. And Jeff, if BYU can go into Washington loose like they did at Camp Randall, this kind of devil may care attitude like no one no one's given us a chance which I'm not quite sure they can do now being ranked number 20 I don't know how much you can play that whole underdog card and no one cares and no one realizes what what we have going on here at BYU but if they can go in loose and not have any sort of I don't know notation going in like oh we've got to do this and just go ahead and play I think you could find another upset happening yeah, I agree. And, you know, they don't need to look any farther than the 18-point underdogs for motivation. Mm-hmm. So they can still use it as, uh, as, you know, bulletin board material. No one expects you to win this game. You're going in a hostile, you know, environment and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they can definitely use that as motivation. I've been a Cougar fan ever since I got old, and I'm not talking BYU, but I, I hope that uh, – <laughs> You know, if they do the same thing that they did against Wisconsin and dominate the trenches, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, you know, they've got more than a puncher's chance at walking home with the W. I'm so happy Jeff goes blue around 930. Uh, He keeps it it clean at about 930. Everybody's in bed, yeah. who Who knows what could happen here on the college football show. Speaking of a hostile environment, as Jeff just alluded to, let's look at Ohio State at Penn State. Now, Ohio State, obviously, we've talked at nausea about what has taken place. Right. And we we could spend two hours on that Urban Meyer interview last week on ESPN. Boy, did he come across as a horse's patoot on that one. But Ohio State. We're keeping it clean now. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'd like to come back and do this show next week. Ohio State at Penn State, to me, will be a huge test considering the fact that Nick Bosa won't be on the defensive side. Now, Ohio State's defense is much more than Nick Bosa, but he adds a extra element that now you don't have to prepare for, and it's going to be interesting to see what Trace McSorley can do with Penn State and how this game plays out. I honestly like Penn State 38-35 in this one. Okay. I, I think I'm going to go back to the ad nausea again, things that we've also talked about Ohio State is team speed. And I, I think they're they're still a faster team than, than Penn State. I think, to your point, I think the great unknown in this game is going to be Trace McSorley because when he gets on a roll and he's passing, he's passing well, he has shown – the ability to be the big play guy for Penn State and and kind of lead a team and put them on their shoulders a little bit. So I do like Ohio State on this one. I'm not totally confident in that one. I think if you have the right situation, the right atmosphere um, at Penn State, they can they can pull off. I would call it an upset. But right now I'm looking at OSU on this one. Jeff, I know you consider Ohio State to be the professional program within the Big Ten. Yeah. But when you look at traveling into Penn State, which can be a very tough environment, I I would say even more difficult than what the Badgers had to endure last week at Iowa. How do you think things play out? Uh, Well, Nick Bosa's not playing. Dwayne Haskins is. And uh, for that reason, I like Ohio State big. You know, they're going to roll over them. Penn State, you know, they haven't been all that impressive in the early part of the season here, I don't think they wake up against Ohio State. I I like Ohio State comfortably. One more game this week, again, since the Badgers are off. This is one of those weeks where you really get to kind of 
hit the remote control and spread and, your wings. And spread, <laughs> yes, sir, and get to watch a few different ones. The other one I'm really interested in is Stanford at Notre Dame. It's a number seven, number eight matchup. I, I don't know for the life of me how Stanford was able to win last week against Oregon. Yeah. To me, if if you were to look at that, you would look at it much like we were looking at the Carthage game earlier in the show where most statistical categories favored one team and yet the other team came away the victor. That to me is what life felt like with Stanford and Oregon, but Stanford comes away with the victory. They're five-and-a-half-point dogs going into Notre Dame, and Notre Dame, though many pundits have not been impressed, Notre Dame is one of those teams, Dan, that, again, week after week, just finds a way to win. Yeah, they do. I Every year we get into this media storm, and it, it always includes Michigan. This year it included Wisconsin, and here we are with Notre Dame again. And my issue with Notre Dame has always been, you know, they're they're still an independent when it comes to football. You don't go through the rigor that other that other teams have to go through. You can kind of pick and choose. Not saying that they don't sign decent teams up on their schedule, but it's always for me. It's always a bit of a challenge. Perfect. I I want Stanford to win this game. I want Stanford to win um, and only rush for one yard. So um, so you know, Jonathan Taylor looks a little bit better. But I I think. I, th- I think this is going to be a good game. I think it's kind of a classic. It's kind of an unheralded rivalry uh, between Stanford and Notre Dame, and I, I just like Stanford in this. Notre Dame finally puts Ian Book in at quarterback, and people were questioning whether or not there would be some sort of uh, regression, I guess, offensively. And last week, there was none with Notre Dame. So, Jeff, when you see this 7-8 matchup coming up on Saturday, how do you think it plays out again? Well, I am unable to comment on this game until the final segment because uh, this my <laughs> shovel is coming. This is my shovel. Okay. All right. So be it. So, so be stick, it. stay tuned. Stay tuned. Oh, nice tease. Oh, a tease. Right. Jeff, Jeff went blue on us to start, <laughs> and he teases the segment. Uh, that's why we have the pipe bomb producing this show. He's the best. All right. Time for us to take a break. When we come back, there's some other things happening nationally with regards to college football and foremost is what was the starting quarterback at Clemson deciding to transfer among some other things happening in and around NCAA D1 football. And we'll cover it all next. This is the college football show right here on 105.7 FM, the fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM. The Fan, once again, want to remind you, this Saturday, noon to 8 at Coach's Pub and Grill, it's a fundraiser for Sal. As we're trying to raise some money for Mark Salzer and his battle with cancer. So if you are in the neighborhood, there's going to be a, a lot of really neat uh, auction items and raffle prizes and all of the proceeds going to help one one of the good guys in uh, in his in his quest to uh, battle against this ungodly disease that unfortunately for too many people it has touched too many lives. So if you're in the area between noon and eight o'clock on Saturday at Coach's Pub and Grill, stop in, make a donation, enjoy some food and some drink 
while you're there. Let's take a look, guys, at some of the stuff happening nationally. And I guess first and foremost, the biggest headline so far this week has been the transfer at Clemson. As Clemson has made a switch at quarterback where they've announced that the freshman Trevor Lawrence will now be the starting QB. Kelly Bryant has decided to uh, pack up and transfer and move on. And the debate now at hand is, do we allow college athletes at a much easier level to transfer than what we used to? And are we teaching then these athletes instead of weathering the storm, so to speak, and trying to earn your way back to that starting position, just the opportunity then to pack your bags and move on to another university. I I honestly, I'm not quite sure where to go with this one because I think many a times you come in as a college athlete. Listen, for some of those athletes, you only have a few years left of your playing experience because – somewhere in the back of the recesses of your mind, you realize you're not going pro. So this is this is going to be my swan song, so to speak. And yet, on the other hand, I can see the argument being that anytime you're going to find a hurdle, you're just going to pack your bags and go elsewhere and avoid the situation. I, I necessarily, I'm not quite sure, as I said, what argument I would stand with. I just know that you're seeing it more and more at the collegiate level where a five-star recruit like you saw in this case in Trevor Lawrence coming into Clemson, knocking out the incumbent, and all of a sudden the incumbent packs his bags and goes elsewhere. I am I I, I am all for Kelly Bryant in this one. I am I I don't have a problem with what with what he's doing, um, because you only have so many years that you can play college football. Um, and regarding, you know, this is, look, this is the nature of the beast. It's this way in football, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, where you have, as a coach, your responsibility is to get the best guys on the field. And right now it's not Kelly Bryant anymore. And he, I think he saw that and he understood it. I think he also understands that he is, you know, he is a commodity. He is a proven football player that he can help make a, a team better. And he is kind of in that in that zone where he could be drafted. He could have the opportunity to play in the NFL. He could he could potentially make NFL money. Um, yeah, there there are plenty of guys in college football that are not going to do it, but there's there's there is a finite group that potentially could. And if you're reasonably in that group, um, and you're looking to you know have have a decent income, then you take that shot and you do it. So because I. If again, this will go back a different argument. If if coaches can just pick up and leave, yeah. What? Why not the player? So I I'm all with Kelly Bryant on this one. Jeff, how about you? Uh same. I'm 100 percent in his corner. Uh, it's a lot like the Jalen Hurts situation. Uh, you know, it's good for him, and I just hope that moving forward beyond this first year that it kind of stays the way that it is now where these kids are able to do this because I have that feeling that the NCAA is going to do everything in their power because now it's benefiting the kids (laughs) to take that away where it only benefits the coaches. So I hope that it kind of stays, you know, this free agency basically uh, how it is. And it continues the kids, you know, obviously they're still not getting paid. It's about time they get something. 
The one thing I do want, though, is when something like this, you know, when a transfer like this happens, and I, I either either being the kid's parents or, or something, I would like to know the list of schools that he was not allowed to go to, whether it's all SEC, whether it's, you know, the entire, well, obviously he's going to Syracuse, so it's not the entire Eastern time zone. But, <laughs> you know, I think it would be, I think it would be fair for us to, to realize the restrictions that are placed on these kids if they decide to transfer. Yeah, you know, I, I guess the more the more we talk about it, I tend to side with the argument that both of you are making, considering what college coaches are able to do when they come out and they sit in these living rooms and they talk to these parents and these grandparents and aunts and uncles and say, listen, here's what I'm going to do for your child. This is the opportunity I'm going to provide for your child. And then a year later, because another opportunity presents itself, they pack up and go, and that person is sitting there. And we've talked about this before. Just because you're selling the university, when we're talking football, yeah, you might be selling the university, but you're also sell, selling that head coach as well. Yeah, and the other point I want to make on this whole thing is that this is this is really an issue with the major programs, the successful programs. So here's what happens. You get the best recruits. You get them into your program. And and this is part of the culture. Okay, so, you know, whether you're Dabo Sweeney or you're Nick Saban or, who, or whoever it is, Paul Christ, because the Badgers have been dealing with this issue too now recently. Um, this is part of the culture of major college football. And this is part, this is just it's part of your job. It's what you have to do. Um, and you, you've got to be able to, to recognize and respect a student athlete's opportunity to go somewhere else and, and to play somewhere else, get a degree somewhere else. But major programs, this is, this is part of being a major program. You don't have the option. Yeah. And it's also completely fair because when you have these major schools that offer more scholarships than they have available, and then these kids come in and find out that they, oops, you're actually cut, you know, before, mm -hmm. and you don't have a scholarship waiting for you. At least now they have uh, kind of a parachute. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the seedy side of, of what goes on. And as you said, Jeff, I you wonder sometimes will the NCA then kind of stick its nose into the middle of it, and because of the fact that the players now have something that they can kind of hold in their back pocket with the proverbial trump card, do they want to get that taken away? Here's another take I want to when when this all came about to me I. I don't know. Maybe other people have thought about it as well because heaven knows I'm not that genius to think of it on my own. <laughs> but I was looking at the fact that what Clemson is doing, if it doesn't mirror Alabama, right now Alabama comes into the season with an incumbent quarterback and a freshman phenom. And after all the hubbub with Nick Saban and toying around and not answering questions and all of the things that we even discussed a few weeks ago, Saban goes with the freshman quarterback, the senior quarterback or the incumbent quarterback decides probably will transfer, going to do the red shirt thing and, and hang around and so forth. And all of a sudden now you got Dabo Sweeney at Clemson essentially doing the same thing. And, I, and I'm looking at it from the fact that I, I think Clemson is trying to emulate almost what Alabama is doing because when you look at Clemson and Alabama, those two have gone at it in final four positions trying to get their way to the national championship. And I just wonder how much influence 
Alabama had in Sweeney's decision to go with the freshman right now as opposed to waiting a year or maybe even redshirting this freshman because with the new four-game rule, having that flexibility, I just wonder how much influence Alabama had on Sweeney's decision. Yeah, I I wonder if it's Alabama or it's just the recognition that they are – both of them are premier institutions, particularly Clemson now. Uh, they've reached that they've reached that high air where they, they understand who they are. And to maintain the opportunity to get into the playoffs and get to a potential championship game, in order to do that, we have to put this this freshman quarterback up there. Um I, I think I think Clemson watches what Alabama does. I'm not necessarily sure that I think they 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 emulate, but they in this case it looks that way. I just think that uh, Dabo Sweeney looked at his depth chart and said, you know what, our best chance to win is with the freshman, and we're going to go with that right now. You know, it's time to take our last break of the night, and we were teased earlier yeah, I want to know what this as is. to <laughs> why our producer would not touch the Notre Dame-Stanford game because he was going to save it for the Shovel the Funk segment. Well, that comes up right after the break. This is the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Once again, welcome back in to the College Football Show right here on 105.7 FM. The Fan Shovel the Funk is being brought to you by Americana Apparel. Whether you need t-shirts for an upcoming event or team jerseys and gear, Americana Apparel has you covered. Owner Jim Van Acker will provide you with unparalleled quality and service for all your custom silk screening and embroidery needs. You can check them out on their website at AmericanaApparelLLC.com. Americana Apparel, the official outfitters of the College Football Show, and let them know that the College Football Show sent you to that particular website. So, Jeff, you wouldn't touch Stanford and Notre Dame because of your shovel. I start with you, sir. Well, my shovel is going to go to Notre Dame, and uh, I spent all week polishing it, making it (laughs) nice and pretty, uh, getting it just in tip-top shape. Oh, here we go. So they can dig their own graves. As they lose to Stanford, and the rest of us can rejoice in a season where we don't have to hear about the Irish anymore. <laughs> they lasted one week longer than I thought they would have. You know, they they're four and zero, but they're not they're not seeing five. So they got my shovel and one happy shovels to you, Don. You pick fantastic music week in week out. It's great. You're the best. Oh, geez. I'm, I'm I'm glad we waited then. It was well worth the wait. Nice job. Dan. Go Stanford. <laughs> Go ahead, so, Daniel. Um, we talked a lot about the Badger game against Iowa today, but we, we really didn't talk about some of the good fortune that happened with the Badgers during that game. Oh, you're right. One of them was with the, 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 the fumble, quote-unquote, when during the punt, uh, one of Iowa's players stepped on, and, and literally the ball was almost dead. Yep. Steps on the ball, and then and then Dakota Dixon falls on it. So I won't say that the game it was a spectacular play by Dakota Dixon, but it changed the game. It kept Wisconsin in the game, given an opportunity to move forward on that. So Dakota, 
you get the shovel this week because you were in the right place at the right time and you made the play when you had to. It changed the dynamic. It kind of felt like momentum was really starting to swing mm-hmm. towards the Hawkeyes. And then when that mistake occurred, it again, it just seemed like the momentum got balanced again and it gave Wisconsin a chance. And it, it goes to show, A, why as a defender you get away. Yeah, You know, when guys are yelling and screaming for everybody to run away, but it, then it also shows if somebody's going to hang around, why you continue to engage mm-hmm. because you create situations and for Dixon to fall on the ball. I mean, it, it, it worked out perfect as far as Wisconsin goes for me. I'll do it because Dan can't <laughs> the shovels going to Alex Hornibrook 17 of 22 for 205 yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions. But with all of that, to me, it was his leadership at the end. And and we, we, like others, I think, go after and pick on Alex Hornerbrook quite a bit. But I was just impressed with his poise down the stretch, emulating a bit what Paul Christ had done throughout the game. And when Joe was here, we talked about how Paul Christ is just focused, gets that team focused, and they just kind of go about in a business-like fashion. They don't get too up, too down. That's kind of how I thought Hornerbrook acted down the stretch when they needed him, when they needed that drive. Dan, he stepped up, and I know you can't. I get it. I understand. I understand the seat I, is open up. next Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. He stepped up in this game. He did. Absolutely. And it, it was it was fantastic for Badger fans to be able to rejoice Jeffrey on Saturday night because otherwise it was going to be – another ugly episode here on the college football show because up until that last minute, the question marks were abound. Well, that would have been a long month because oh, they yeah. would have lost to be, would have lost back-to-back games and have a bye week. You know, it would have, it would have been sad, sad times, but uh, special teams, they played fantastic, you know, because besides Dakota Dixon, there was the one where Iowa had a nice return, mm-hmm. fumbled it right on the sideline. Yep. The ref said that uh, the the runner was Did down you see that? Oh when God. he was standing up. Maybe running. the worst call of the game. Yeah, my that, goodness. Yeah. Not that only was... was it the worst call of the game, but once again, how many times do we have to go to a replay? Oh God! Now earlier in the day, I was watching uh, the Tennessee matchup, and you know how the checkered box is in the mm-hmm. end zone, which yep. is four yards after the goal line and the guy jumps into the end zone and kind of lays on that checkered line. And I think the ref got confused thinking it was the goal line and they had to go upstairs to review. He's four (laughs) yards in the end zone (laughs) and we have to waste four. And and it's not like we're wasting 30 seconds. It seems like every single replay call is four or five minutes. And then not only is it four or five minutes, we got to go to commercial break. And I think sometimes that's what's taking these games for. Oh, that's another. So what's time a touchdown? Place. What's a sack? What's a catch? Blah 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 blah. We'll but figure it out someday. The hitting is good though. There were yes. some just great <laughs> yep. licks laid out in that Wisconsin Iowa game. That Wisconsin Iowa game was old fashioned Big Ten football at its finest. The music in the background tells us it's time for us to get up out of here. Want to thank Colton Bartholomew writer for the lacrosse tribune for his insights into this weekend's matchup of course the head coach at carthage dustin haas wish him best of luck this weekend as they have their homecoming matched up against elmhurst and of course radio joe zanzola for taking some time out after the bill michaels huddle to join us here to talk about the badgers for our producer the pipe bomb jeff orlowski and the professor dan underberg i'm don wachillas thank you so much for joining us we're back here 
in six and 22. Enjoy the rest of the week, Milwaukee. See you next week. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.